Judges chapter 16, and I want to read you a sad end of a uh, what I think would be a sad life because, man, what it could have been, the potential that could have been there, and it's in a man by the name of Samson. And I want to read you the story of his end here. And I want to start reading in verse number 21, and we'll finish the chapter. Judges 16, 21. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza, bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. When the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport. And they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me, that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, Remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be once, at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand, of the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the Lord's upon all the people that were therein. So, that, so the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Then his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the burying place of Manoah his father. And he judged Israel 20 years. How many would agree with me that Samson here, we find him at the end of his life, he is in a place of, uh, he's in a place of failure. His failures have caught up with him. His sins have, uh, have caught up with him. You reap what you sow, don't you? And that's true. I would say as we look at Samson in this scripture, in this text this morning, we find Samson and he is in a, I'm going to call it a defeated place. He's in a defeated place. He's not the one... Living in victory, he, he was used to winning every single time. But he's not necessarily winning here as we see him being made fun of and mocked by the enemy. Here he is in his death. But as we look at this, and I'm sure if you're a Bible thinker at all, you can already see a few glimpses of grace in this text, as bad as it is and as, as, as sad as it is, this text, I see some glimpses of grace in this text. And that's what I want to preach on just for a few minutes this morning. You pray for me and uh, pray that God will do work in our hearts. I want to preach on this thought this morning. Grace in a defeated place. Grace in a defeated place. 
Father, we love you. We're thankful for the privilege we have, Lord, just to serve you, just to be here, just to worship you. Lord, I'm glad that you put a song in my heart. You put a song in my mouth. Put praise, Lord, to you in my, in my heart. Lord, I pray, God, that uh, you would help us just to worship you, Lord, through even this scripture. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to see your grace at work, Lord, in our life. Even when we feel like we've made a huge mess and we feel like we've made a colossal uh, uh, mistake and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a great failure in our life, Lord, help us to still be able to look around and see your good grace at work in our life. And God, I pray that you'd encourage some weary saint. God, I pray that you'd, Lord, convict some sinner in here. God, do the work that needs to be done and we'll give you the praise, we'll give you the honor, we'll give you the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, if you know what, I don't want to give you a whole Sunday school lesson about the book of Judges, but I feel like just a little bit of context is needed uh, just to figure out what's going on. For 400 years plus, the Israelites were under what is called the rule of the judges. And this was not, uh, these were not kings. That's not who they were. They didn't rule as a king, but rather they served almost as uh, the Supreme Court, if you will. They were there to hear the hard cases. Their word was the final word. And for over 400 years in the book of Judges, you can read about it, obviously. And uh, they were not under a spiritual leader like maybe a prophet like Samuel or a priest. Uh, but they were under, uh, under uh, just uh, human uh, men. God would move on them. God would direct them. God would use them, no doubt about that. But, uh, but not a lot of spirituality going on in these days. Not strong spiritual leadership. In fact, the, 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 the thing that characterized the time of the judges was wickedness. If you've studied the book of Judges at all, you'll know this phrase pops up over and over in the book of Judges. Every man did that which was what? right in their own eyes, in his own eyes. There was no leader. There was no king in Israel. Everybody just said, they looked at it and said, you know what, I think this is right. I'm going to do I think this is truth, and this is what's right for me. And they might have been had a little bit of tolerance about them. You know, well, what's right for you may not be right for me. There is no objective standard of truth. Now, they're just what everybody feels like doing. Well, does that not sound familiar? Man, good gracious, we're living in days just like that, aren't we? There's no objective. God has given us His law. He's given us His word. And yet it has been set aside. It has been forgotten. It has been nullified. It has been discredited. And uh, everybody just does that which is right in their own eyes. If you feel like you need to kill a baby before it's born, well, just kill the baby. If you feel like two men ought to be able to get married or two women ought to be able to get married or, or what, just, just do whatever you want to do. Just uh, whatever, you know, we're not going to judge. Everybody just does that which is right in their own. These are days of wickedness and because of that wickedness, God repeatedly chastised. Those are his people, right? He's going to chastise those that belong to him and, it, and the way he chastised them is to let them come under bondage to their enemies. And so there would be groups like the Midianites or groups like the Philistines and they would oppress Israel and they would be in trouble and they would be tired of being slaves and tired of being in bondage and tired of being oppressed and they would finally call out to God and they would say, God, help us, please. Help us, Lord. We need you. We're sorry. Lord, we'll get your word out. We'll do what you say. We'll, 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 we'll listen to you from now on. And God would raise up a man like Gideon or raise up a man like Samson 
or raise up a, a, a man uh, 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 like uh, Othniel or all these ones that uh, uh, Shamgar, all the, he'd raise up a man and God would deliver them from the hand of their enemies only for them to go right back into it. And it's a cycle over and over and over. If that cycle sounds familiar, well, it ought to because you and I ought to be probably a little familiar with that. How many know what it's like to just be oppressed? Your sin gets weighing heavy on you and man, it's just awful and you can't stand it. And you say, God, I'm so sorry. Lord, please forgive me. Please help me. And aren't you glad God in His grace... Aren't you glad God's a gracious God? And God in His good grace, He never says, No, I done forgive you of that too many times. That's not what He says. God says, Well, I don't know, let me think about it. No, my Bible says if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad that every single time you've ever bowed your heart and bowed your head and asked the God of glory for forgiveness, aren't you glad that He has extended it unto you? That's because we serve a gracious God. But how soon we forget. Isn't that right? And we go running back to the same things. The same idolatry, the same idols, the same things. And we, we go running back to it. And then we got to experience the bondage of sin and the oppression of sin and the miserableness of sin and the coldness of heart and being far away from God and being hard-hearted and calloused and, and being far. And then we go through all And then God has to grind us down. God has to crush us and He has to get us back to a place where we'll look up and ask Him again. We could say spiritually Israel's in a defeated place. This judge that we're reading about, Samson, no doubt he's in a defeated place right here. Samson is probably the most famous of all the judges. I'd imagine everybody in here knows who Samson is. Probably in your head you're picturing Arnold Schwarzenegger or something like that or Chris Simpson or somebody like that. That uh, Somebody real big and strong and some big muscles. He's known for his strength, isn't he? Isn't he known for all of the strength that he has? He's known for his great supernatural feats of, of, uh, of ability. I mean, just amazing what this man did. He slew a lion with his bare hands. The Bible says he rent it. Tore it in half like he would a kid. I'm thinking, man, I couldn't even rent a kid. You know, good gracious. Like a little goat, like he would a baby. Just like you just pick some up and tear it in half. Good gracious, that strength. The Bible says that he killed 30 Philistines at one time. That's amazing. The Bible says that he caught 300 foxes. Not three, not 30, 300. Now, how many of you think you could catch one fox? Good gracious, I can't even catch my breath. Good gracious. Catch a fox. And not only did he catch them, but then he tied them together and he lit their tails on fire and he set them out through the field and burned up the fields of the Philistines. Man, that is strength right there. I heard a preacher preach on, I think it was John Morgan, surprise, surprise. He preached on, get your tail on fire for God. Amen. I like that. Why don't you get your tail on fire for God? <laughs> I can't help but think about that every time I read it. You think 30 Philistines was enough? 30 Philistines was a lot. One time, he slew a thousand Philistines. And he did it all with the jawbone of an ass, the Bible says. He uprooted the gate of the city. We're not talking about some little picket fence. <laughs> We're talking about a big iron gate, and he picked it up. And he held it over his head, put it on his back, carried it up a big hill. We're talking about a man that was great strength. 
And we know him, probably the most famous of all the judges because of his great strength. But unfortunately, Samson's not just known for his strength. He's also known for his weakness. That's why we think about Samson. That's what we think about when we think about Samson. We think about the end of his life. We think about the things that led up to what was his weakness. His weakness was women. His weakness was the flesh. He, he could not control his flesh. He could not say no to his flesh. He could not deny himself. Whatever his flesh wanted to do, that's what he did. The strongest man in the world was actually one of the weakest men. He wanted a Philistine wife. Those were the enemies. Why? He said, he told his mom and daddy, because she pleases me well. I like her. I want her. Go get her for me. I just want her because I do. Leave me alone. Don't tell me what's right. Don't tell me what's wrong. I just want her. She pleases me. She's pretty. She's nice. I'm just going, I'm going to tell you something. Hey, let me, listen, young man, there's more to girls than just the way they look. Because it wasn't long she was married to his best friend. Amen. Come on now. There's more than just listen. Well, I, no, I ain't going to say all that. I, I get in trouble. Yeah, all right. Lord, help me. There's more than it just looks. Beauty's vain. Isn't that right? It's deceitful. It's vain. God help us. Chapter 16, he went and visited a, a harlot, a prostitute. He couldn't tell himself no. And then, of course, the fatal, the fatal weakness of his life come by the exposed to us by the, by the words and the works of a lady named Delilah. Delilah, a woman who used her femininity, her sexuality to get what she wanted. That's wicked, isn't it? That's exactly what she did, wicked woman. But Samson, not one time, not two times, not three times, but four times was begged and pleaded up by the Lord. Tell me, what is the secret to your strength? Where do you get this supernatural strength from? Man, I tell you what, don't you think he... I don't know about... Listen, I'm not super smart, but I think after, you know, one time you tell this girl what's going on and then, and then all of a sudden you find yourself bound by these vines or whatever, these green withs, and uh, it's the first thing he told her. And the Philistines are coming upon you. I think I'd say, you know what? I don't think I'm going to tell her anything else. What do y'all think? You ever told somebody something and they told everybody in the world and you thought, man, I'm not going to trust them ever again. Well, Samson did it once. He did it twice. He did it three times. He did it four times. I'm going to tell you something. You say, what is that? Sin will make you stupid. Amen. That's a good text for that, isn't it, right there? Sin will absolutely... He couldn't deny his flesh. He couldn't say no. His weakness, even though as strong of a man as he was, he could not deny his flesh. And here we go. Delilah leads him into the hands of the Philistines. His head is shaved. His strength is gone. We find Samson in our text. His sin has finally caught up with him. This is the result of his sin. In fact, we see him, he is, he, 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 he is bound with fetters. His eyes are gouged out. He's, a, he's made a, a prisoner to grind their mill in their, in, their, in their grinding house, tied to a big 
millstone. Here he is, the great Samson. Everybody laugh. Everybody jeer. Everybody make fun of him. Everybody ridicule him. Here he is, the one we used to be afraid of, but now he is brought down to nothing. Can I tell you, listen to me, listen to me real close. That's what sin does. That's not what sin promises, but that's what it delivers. Sin promises you a good time. Sin promises you all the fulfillment and all the satisfaction in the world. But sin does not deliver any of those things. It delivers heartache and misery and, 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 and absolute devastation. Sin will ruin your life. You follow sin. You follow the flesh. And it will absolutely tear your life to pieces. That's not what it promises. James said that, Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed and sin. When it's finished, it bringeth and lust when it's conceived, bringeth forth sin. And sin when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. That's what it brings. The wages of sin is death. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll of the flesh reap corruption. Amen. You can't sow oats, wild oats of sin and expect there to be a crop failure. It will come back to bite you. It always does. And I cannot express that enough. I cannot shout that enough. Listen, there's young people in here. You're sitting and you think, man, it's not that big a deal. I don't know why the preacher makes such a big deal about it. But listen, there's some other people in here. I can stand and tell you why it's such a big deal. Don't let sin have its way in your life. Sin will bind you, and sin will blind you, and sin will grind you. That's what Samson found out, found out in his life. At his lowest point. Man, Samson, he's been, I want to look at Samson and say, man, you've been given so much. Before he was ever born, God had special, uh, a special task for him and, and, and a special touch for him. And, and God, get, I mean, all kind of things. And yet, at every turn of his life, he snubbed his nose at the goodness of God and, and the purposes of God for his life. And he did his own thing. And here he is at the end. Tied up like an animal. Eyes gouged out of his head. Everybody laughing and making fun of him. Samson wasn't used to that. Listen, hey, you laugh at him, hey, he'll burn your fields up. You laugh at him, he'll punch your face in. That's what Samson was used to. Hey, but there comes a day when, listen, you no longer get to control sin. It controls you. Now Samson, he's not the one calling the shots. There's other people calling. His enemies are calling the shots now. And that's exactly what Samson has found out. And in his lowest point, after he had been given so much and threw it all away, after he's looked at as a failure, but I just want to point out just for a minute this morning before we go home that right in the middle of this failure, right in the middle of his lowest point, right in the middle when he thought everything was over and it was all done, and it was in a lot of ways, but there was still something else. God had to do it right in the middle of all of it, in a, in a defeated place. You know what Samson found? He found some grace. And I'm just here to tell you, listen, I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning, but I'm just here to tell you that God has grace for those who have made a colossal mess out of their life.
God has grace for those who have failed miserably. You say, preacher, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the things. Listen, you're right, and I may never have it all figured out, but I just know that God's grace is more amazing than your sin will ever be. God's grace abounds bigger than your sin will ever abound. I'm here to tell you, you might be in a defeated place. You might feel like a failure. You might think you threw a lot of things away. You may have. You may have spent years snubbing your nose at the goodness of God. God. And listen, I'm here to tell you, it will cost you, no doubt about that. But don't ever think that you've gone too far for God's grace to get a hold of you and work in your life. That's the kind of God we serve. God's always been like that. You say, well, that's not the Old Testament God. We're reading from the Old Testament right here. That's the New Testament God. There is no Old Testament God and New Testament God. There's just God. He said, I am the Lord God. I change not. He is gracious. He always has been gracious. God was good yesterday. He's good today. He's good tomorrow. God is faithful yesterday. He's faithful today. And He's faithful tomorrow. Listen, God has was a God full of grace yesterday, today, and for Forever. He is the Lord God. He does not change. He's always had grace. Even in the Garden of Eden with mankind, I mean a colossal failure. Man, they snubbed their nose of the goodness of God. Adam and Eve took of that fruit in the garden. And what does God do? Are there curses? Yes. Are there consequences? Yes. But right in the middle of all those curses, there is a glorious, gracious promise. And He said there's going to be a seed of the woman that will come and He's going to destroy your enemy. What is that? That's grace. Mankind wicked. Just a few chapters later in Genesis, mankind's wicked. God's going to destroy them all. But there was one man that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There was one family that did not perish with all of the wicked. Why? Because God, even in the midst of judgment, He is a God that can remember mercy. He's a God that wants to remember mercy. He's a God that wants to show grace. Habakkuk said, In thy wrath, Lord, remember mercy. And I'm glad that he does. Even in the tribulation. Even in the tribulation period. The time of God's, I mean, just pouring out wrath. There's seals and vials and trumpets all over the place. Pouring out the wrath of God on this earth. But I tell you what you'll find. You'll find a remnant that's going to be saved. God's saving people even in His time of great wrath. Why? Because God is a God of grace. And if you will respond, and if you will look up to Him, and if you will call out to Him, God will be gracious to you. Because that's who God is. And there's grace even in a defeated place. You say, where do you see grace? Preacher, you don't know my situation. I'm in a defeated place. I don't see any grace in my life. Well, I'm going to tell you, in the name of Jesus, you're wrong. All right. But that's all right. You can be right before you leave this place. Number one, how is there grace in my defeated place? Number one, let me say this. You're still alive. That's grace, ain't it? You're still, oh, Samson, is he tied up? Yeah. Is he captured? Yeah. Has he lost his eyes? Yeah. Has he lost his strength? Yes. Is he being made fun of? Yes. But can I tell you one good thing about Samson is he's still breathing. He's still alive. They hadn't killed him yet. He's not dead yet. And can I tell you, I don't know what you've gone through and I don't know what mess you've got yourself in, but if you're still breathing, if you're still breathing in and breathing out, if you're still alive, I'm glad to tell you there's hope. There's hope as long as you're alive. Amen. 
There's hope. Listen, Samson, he is enduring the consequences of his own actions, but in God's good grace, he is still alive. And it's just as much as sin will rob you of precious things and it'll scar your life, no doubt about it. I definitely don't recommend it. I'm trying to steer you from it. But let me tell you this, if you're still breathing, God still has grace for you. And as long as you're breathing, there's hope. You're still alive. Hey man, here you are. Listen, you're in church this morning. How about that? Somebody's watching online. Listen, God had you tune in and watch this message. Listen, God's not done with you. God's not through with you. And I understand, listen, there's things we could do. We may never get back. God, just because we get right with God don't mean God's going to restore every single thing back. That's why you need to understand there's consequences to sin. Listen, do not presume on the grace of God. Don't turn God's grace into lascivious. Don't just think, well, listen... I can just live how I want to and God's grace will just cover it all because there's some devastating consequences of sin. But I'm here to tell you before the devil tells you just to end it all, before the devil tells you just to quit and just to give up on life, can I tell you, God has left you alive. You're still here. Amen. And God has something for you. Amen. I like verse 22. Don't you like verse 22? It says, How be it the hair of his head began to grow again. I claim that promise in the name of Jesus. Lord, grant it, Jesus. Grant it, Lord. Amen. Brother Gary, claim that promise, brother. Claim it, brother. We'll claim it. We're two, two agree. Me and you, we're going to agree on that. Amen. Amen. His hair. What, what, why did it, where, when did he lose his strength? When they shaved his head. Old Samson, he got a haircut at the devil's barbershop, one old preacher said. He lost his strength. What, what, and I'm not going to go into all of it. It had to do with that Nazarite vow. He wasn't a Nazarene. He was a Nazarite. Jesus wasn't a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene. Don't get it confused. But nevertheless, that Nazarite vow, there were certain things. Couldn't uh, touch dead carcasses, dead bodies, things that were dead. You couldn't have anything off the fruit of the vines. That means no, no wine, no strong drink, nothing like that. You couldn't, uh, couldn't shave your head. A razor could not touch your head. Samson had pretty much violated every single part of that vow except for one. He had never got a haircut. He never shaved his head. That's why when he finally spilled the guts to Delilah and told, spilled his guts, he said, it's my hair. That's the last thing. If you were to shave that, that vow would be completely broken and my strength would go from me. And that hair was shaved off of his head. Man, he must have been sleeping real good. How many of you ever got a haircut while you were sleeping? I never have. He must have been sleeping real good. Delilah must have been the quietest beautician in the whole wide world. But they got that hair cut off of his head. The only thing the Philistines forgot about is hair it grows back if you're living there's something inside of you there's and it's not in every place like it used to be but there's something in here you can't see it there's some there's some seeds there's some there's some 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 roots in there and you can shave my head all right but listen at least around this area right here or at least around the sides it's going to grow back because that's life. And can I tell you something about God's grace? As long as you're still leaving, living, as long as you're still living, you know what that means? That means there is time for growth in your life. 
I'm going to tell you something. God, let, how many of you would, would understand this when I say this, that sometimes God lets us go through some things so we can grow? Man, some things we go through. Man, I, I say, man, I, I've grown there. I've grown there. God let me go. But you know what that takes? It takes time. And God will, let, God will let things that he puts inside of you. You know what that growth is? That's grace. That's the grace of God to let you learn from things and, and grow back. And God has put some things inside of us. God has put some things on the inside of us that the devil, he may can affect the outside, but he can't touch what's on the inside. And there's, especially, listen, if you've been saved by the good grace of God and you've made a, you've made a mess, you've made, you failed, you've been living, I mean, just, uh, just contrary to everything that you ever thought you would, can I tell you something? Listen, the devil can do a lot of things, but he can't take out what God put in. And if you're really saved, I'm going to tell you something that'll happen. Listen, the devil can ruin everything on the outside, but there's something on the inside that'll start growing again. Amen. You've got to give God time for growth. God used them again. You see that? At the end, verse number 30, we're going to get to that here in just a second, but he killed Philistines at the end of his life. God was not done with him. And I, listen to me, listen to me close. If you don't get anything, get this. I don't care what you've done. Listen, God is not through with you. He's not done. If you're breathing, God has, not, God has not left you. He is not done with you. God still has a purpose for your life. And that life that God left in him, you know what it was for? It was not so he could just do whatever he wanted to do. Of course, he wasn't able to do what he wanted to do anyway, but it was so he would have the opportunity to turn back to him in his final hours. And God has left you alive, not so you can say, well, you know, I got away with this one, or I'll get over this one. No, God has left you alive. God's left you here so you can have the glorious opportunity to turn back to Him and say, Lord, I love you. Please use me. What is it? Where's this grace in a defeated place? Number one, I want to say you're still alive. Number two, can I give you another one I saw? Not only you're still alive, but number two, you're not alone. You're not alone. Look at verse number 26. The Bible says, and Samson said unto the who? The lad. Samson had a little lad that held him by the hand. There was a little boy that was given to Samson to lead him around. Now that was probably an insult on behalf of the Philistines, right? Wouldn't that be an insult? Big, strong Samson. Now he's being led around by a little boy. He's being led around by some little child. It was an insult. But what they meant as an insult, God actually worked it against them and it worked in the favor of Samson. Because Samson told that little boy, he said, hey, let me put my hands on the pillars of this place. Let me, just lead me. He couldn't see. Samson can't see a thing, but he can still feel and he can still touch. And he said, let me, let me get a hold of one of these pillars right here. He said, let me get a, let me get a hold on one of them. I'm just going to, just want to rest just for a minute. And that little boy led him where he needed to go so that he could be used by God. His blindness made it absolutely necessary that he have somebody help him. But guess what? God put somebody in Samson's life that could help him. God did did not leave him all by himself. And I want to just say something. You may feel like you've made a mess. You may feel like you're living in failure. But I want you to look around and I want you to realize something. You ain't all by yourself. 
God has a way of putting some people in your life. Listen, it may be some people you wouldn't have had nothing to do with before. Isn't that right? This little boy, Samson, wouldn't have had anything to do with it. They wouldn't have been friends. They wouldn't have been pals. He would not have given that boy the time of day. But suddenly, he was useful. Suddenly, he realized, listen, I need somebody in my life. I cannot do this on my own. And I tell you, it is the good grace of... You know what the church is? It's the grace of God on your life. You know what good Christian friends are? That's the grace of God in your life. Good fellowship. That's the grace of God. God has not left me alone. And listen, I may fail. I may mess up. I may make the biggest colossal failure of my life ever. But I promise you, there'll be somebody in my life that'll reach out and say, hey, I'm here for you. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. Let me help you. You know why? Because that's what Christians do. God made Listen, the devil, he don't have friends like that. Listen, as soon as your eyes are gouged out, as soon as you're tied up, as soon as you're not useful to him, the devil will leave you all by yourself. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. Listen, he'll leave you high and dry. But God ain't like that. God will always give you somebody. Amen. You're never alone. You're never alone. God, listen, the devil, you go in this world, as soon as you're done, as soon as you ain't got any money, as soon as you can't benefit them, they'll leave you all alone. But God, God's crowd ain't like that, and I want to bless his name for that. Man, that's the good grace of God, isn't it? Man, God has put somebody in your life to lead you in the right direction. I'm telling you what, you better recognize that as grace. You're never too big. You're never too mighty. You're never too strong for somebody to lead you and help you. You're not alone. You're not alone. That's grace, isn't it? Samson, Samson could have died all by himself, but he had this little lad that was standing by him. Well, you're still alive. That's grace, isn't it? You're not alone. That's grace, ain't it? I'll give you one last one and I'm done. I'm going to call it this. You're now aligned. You're aligned. You're lined up. Aligned with what? You're now aligned with God, where God wants you to be. You see, verse 28 is the prayer of a broken man. Sin has crushed him and left him at the bottom of life. He is on the scrap heap of humanity. Yet, that is what it took for him to look up and to call out to God. And I would say this, if that's what it takes to get us to look up and to call out to God. That's precisely where we need to be. You see, Samson was now, maybe for the first time in his life, I don't know his heart, but the first time in his life, he's aligned up with God. He's humble. He's humble. You see, he spent his whole life presuming that the power of God was always on him and was always going to be with him. In fact, even, when he, even, after, even after the haircut, he got up, and the Bible says that he didn't even know. He wished not, verse 20, that the Lord was departed from him. He didn't even know it. He was just so used to every time he needed something, there it was. Every time he needed strength, there it was. Every time he needed, he needed to beat up on a Philistine, he could do it. There's nobody that could beat him. He could catch 300 foxes and burn your fields. He could do whatever he wanted to do. God gave him the strength to be able to do all of these amazing things, and it was always there. And for the first time in his life, he recognized his own weakness. He realized, I'm nothing without God. I don't have anything without him. I am nothing without him. 
I can do nothing without him. And can I tell you something? Listen to me. That's the best place you could ever get. And if God, if God will ever allow you to be crushed by your own stupidity and crushed by your own failures and crushed by your own sin to the point where you actually stop and look up and say, all right, God, I'm listening now. I'm here. I'm going to tell you what that is. That's grace. That's grace. That's good. Because God could just zap you. God could just say, man, you're stupid. <laughs> you're done. But instead, he said, you know what I'll do in my good grace? I'll let him feel the consequences of his sin. So he'll look up to me and he'll call out on me. He's humble. And I love this. Here's, here, let me show you something I underline in my Bible. It's in this verse right here. Verse, verse, uh, verse 30. Look, turn it to verse 30 there. Yeah, here it is. Samson said, here it is. He said, let me die. Man, that's the, that's the way we ought to live right there. Let me die. God, die. Lord, I want to die. Let me die to self. Dead to self. And alive unto God. That's humility right there. But here's what I underline. I like that, let me die. But it says, and he bowed himself with all his might. That might have been the mightiest thing Samson ever did. You know, in fact, I just I did a little just a little search on this. There's nowhere in all of Samson's story that you'll find that he did anything with all his might. He didn't do anything with all his might. He just always, he just had it. He just had the strength. He just had the, he just had it. It was always going his direction. It was always going his way. He never did anything with all his might. But finally, he gets to the end of his life and he does the most powerful thing. Bowing yourself is powerful than killing a thousand Philistines with a jawbone. Bowing yourself down is more effective and more powerful than tying 300 foxtails together. Bowing yourself down is the most powerful thing that you will ever do. Because isn't that what God said? He said, James, and I think Peter said it too, he said, He giveth more grace. He gives grace to the who? To the humble. To the lowly. If you'll bow yourself down, why did Samson get more grace? Because he kept bowing himself. And the lower he went, the more grace he got. And the thing, the most power, I submit to you that the most powerful thing Samson ever did was bowing himself down. And by the way, that's not even just my opinion. That's actually what the Bible says. Look at the end of that verse. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew, it slew in his life. Isn't that amazing that Samson accomplished more with humility than he ever did in his own strength? Samson did more in his death when he bowed himself before God than he ever did in his whole life. That ought to be no surprise to us, should, should it? That he did more humble than he ever did proud. Say, what was it that got him to humility? It was the good grace of God. Say, preacher, I'm, I've me I messed up. Man, I, I, I'm just... I, I'm, I'm now reaping the consequences and trying, I mean, just of all the stuff that I've done. Look what God's doing to me. Let me tell you something. I want to say this to Samson and I want to say this to you. Listen, God's not killing you. God's helping you. God's helping you. To let you feel the weight of all that is to bring you to a point where you are aligned with Him. Samson, God has shown some grace to you at the end of your life here. You're alive. You're not alone. 
And now you're lined up finally, finally, where you need to be with God. Miss Maddie, I want you to come around to the piano. I want to say this. If you're looking, and this is, this is what, this is what so many people, now listen to this real close. I'm done. This is where so many people, I think, get off just a little bit. They, they're looking to escape the consequences of their sin. They think, man, if I just run to God and I, I just, I'm just going to confess everything. And, and listen, I, that, these things, he's the, he's the Lord of the harvest, right? He, 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 he lets what he wants to come in your garden. If you sowed the seed, he may just let that come up, all right, and come out. But when we really get to a place of humility, it's not, it's not that we're looking to escape the consequence. Not really, you know, when somebody, you know, there's a difference between being sorry you got caught and sorry for what you did. You understand that? Some people, they're just, it's not that they're sorrowful over their sin, they're sorrowful over the consequences of their sin. And there's a difference. There's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. And if you're looking to escape all the consequences of your sin, I'm going to tell you what, you'll get very bitter at God and you'll get mad at God. There's been people like that. They get, say, Lord, I, I confessed. I got right with you. Why are you still allowed? Why is my family still falling apart? Why are people still, don't trust me, why are they, and just whatever. If you're looking for the Lord just to get rid of all the consequences of your sin, you'll probably be very disappointed. You'll get bitter at God. You'll get angry and you'll get disillusioned with this thing. But quit looking for God to help you escape all the consequences of your sin. And you need to start looking for grace. If you're looking for an escape, you'll be disappointed. But if you're looking for grace, you will be very, very happy to find that God is a gracious God. And no matter what happens to you, it is much better than what we deserve. A little thing at the end of Samson's life where he's able to kill more Philistines in his death. What is that? That's the grace of God. He could have just died immediately, but God yet let him do something at the end of his life. That is grace. If you're looking for an escape, you'll be disappointed. But if you're looking for grace, you'll be very, very satisfied because God is a gracious God.